Hello, ladies. The Big Balboski here. And right now, you're listening to the Matt Madness Podcast. They talking all of this madness. Talking all of this madness. Talking all of this madness. They talking all of this. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pachery Jr., and with me this week are my good friends, Mr. Sexy Punta Cana, then now forever, C. Kane Joe Rottermel. Bringing the testicular fortitude twice. <laughs> as as always, hey, you can never bring too much. You never, testicular never have fortitude. too much. And Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. And this week we have a special show. Uh, we we may not talk about any weekly product. Maybe a little bit will seep in throughout the episode. Maybe but Chris Jericho's fat shaming. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> But we are dedicating this episode to the January 4th, 1999 episode of Monday Night Raw. Hella good episode. Hella good episode. Most famously known as the episode where WCW previewed a title change at the end of the episode. And then we got to see uh, Mrs. Foley's baby boy bring home the championship at the close of the show. Uh, A lot of people view that as the turning point in the Monday Night War, or at least... The Monday Night War series on WWE Network <laughs> portrays it that well, way. Well, they did lose 600,000 people. <laughs> well, 600,000 people turned to Raw to watch that. Yes. Yeah, like during that specific segment. Like people bookmarked it and then went to watch it when it was time for it to happen. Uh, but January 4th, 1999. Uh, 20 years ago, almost exa- Well, 21 years ago, almost exactly. Uh, day after my that. day after my birthday, it was yes, eighteenth or nineteenth so birthday. Nineteenth you would have turned. So I was nineteen, would have turned twenty in May. So you had to have just turned eighteen. Eighteen, yes. I was still seven. Yes, you were. <laughs> so we we will get to that momentarily. Still had your first slammer. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> The, the first thing I kind of wanted to get to was, like, where everybody was, like, in life at this point. So, Joseph, my first question to you, we were obviously close in age. We obviously knew each other. We had known each other for, you know, over ten years already at this point. Uh, do you know if we had become friends yet? Or was that the summer that was about to come in the next That was months? the summer that was about to come in the next few Okay, months, so we were not on friendly terms. No, no. This well, is- actually, and I won't even say we weren't on friendly terms. I wasn't on friendly terms with you. I don't know that you I disliked some, me. At I got all. some cold, cold glances. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. I don't know if you didn't like me at that time. Nah. It may have just been one, <laughs> which I think actually one way. is even better. There's one way because it makes me 100 the bad guy in this situation. <laughs> because especially knowing what we jo- know of Joey now, like you ever yet to have your face turned? Just yeah, just the most fun-loving guy you could ever want to meet, and I couldn't stand him. You know, and the reason being. <laughs> He went to school with my younger sister. I always heard everyone in that grade, especially like, you know, I knew I knew a guy, Ryan Morrison, who's a very good friend of mine. I was friends with his brother, Jack. Always heard everyone talk about how funny Joey was. And I just didn't get it. I was like, this guy is just like a little shit. He's not that funny. And I was like resentful about it. And, t- and I know I've told this story on the podcast before, but in Sea Isle City in the summer of 99, just six months removed from this episode of Monday yeah, Night Raw. Yeah, six months later. 
I found out, I heard a story about Joey, uh, I believe on the Atlantic City boardwalk. Then he walked, well, first he's sitting in my shore house and I look at his feet. I'm like, how big are your feet? Like you have the biggest feet I've ever seen. And I hear a story about Joey walking into a shoe store, asking for a specific shoe in a specific size, a shoe salesman telling him, we don't have this shoe in the size you asked for, but we we do have an entirely different shoe in a size that is not your size. Would you like these? And Joey ends up walking out of the store in these shoes. Said sure. That are a size and a half or two sizes too big. Not Not even the shoe he wanted in the first place. Not much of a shopper. And when I heard that story... Immediately, I was like, oh, I get it. He, he is that funny. And all the negative feelings I had had were instantly gone. You know, just fell absolutely in love with him immediately. Uh, and then found out one of my friends who was not one of the easiest people to please, Matt Kohlenberg, was like a huge fan of Joey all through high school. So, you know, it, it, we were destined to be friends. Yeah, it was, it was, just, it was just waiting. You know, so you we were not take the journey. Yet. Yes, we were not friends yet. When this event happened, so like, where where were you in life at this point? Like, give me like a rundown of like who C. Kane Joe was on January fourth, nineteen. January fourth. I mean, that, again, right after my birthday, mm-hmm. so it was kind of probably hella hangover. Just became hu- legal. Hu- hella hungover at that yeah. point. <laughs> I wasn't legal. I was eighteen. Well, legal like legal voting. Legal adult. Age. Legal. You yeah, were a legal yeah. adult. I could you know couldn't drink yet. Go to legally, strip club, but yeah, sex up my life and. Right. <laughs> I was a young, young, sexy man on the rise uh-huh. at about this age. Probably hella hungover. Um, where, wondering if I was going to graduate because I did a lot of crazy stuff okay. in high school. That yes, you did. Put put me put me on the path of possibly not graduating. And at this point, everyone else in in our high school thought you were funny, except for me. Yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> I'm sure you were the only one who had grudges. I mean, my brand of comedy could some at times be seen as arrogance, <laughs> although it's not bordering on arrogance. Yeah, it's bordering on arrogance, but it's not my intention. Mm-hmm. And good. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many times I listen back on second on second and third listen, and I hear something Joey says under his breath, and I just start dying hysterical. So that was one of the biggest takeaways for me when we were doing video, and I would like edit the video, and I would like cut little clips. I would notice at least three or four times an episode, Joey said something that I never heard. It but never I was dawned on loud at, like when I was listening back to it. <laughs> How about you? Where are you at at this time in life? So I was nineteen, uh, turned twenty uh, five months after this. Uh, I had just basically been forced to leave college, the Ben College of Technology, not in the brightest of places in my life. Uh, which is weird because uh, I feel like I have talked about a lot of different periods of my life that were like dark periods in my life. This was one of them. Peaks and valleys. Yeah. Uh, but one of my true escapes was like the WWF at the time, was Monday Night Raw, was the Monday Night Wars. Like I lost myself in it. And it was one of the things that like brought me joy on a weekly basis. A lot of my frustrations in life. I was able to, like, live through some of the guys I watched on TV every Monday. Like, DX, I was a huge fan of them because they were these guys that didn't care what anybody told them. Rebelled against authority. Didn't care what anybody told them what to do, told them what to wear. People that thought (laughs) they were better, whatever other lyrics of the song there were. Like, I very much lived vicariously through them. Like, their idea to just kind of, like, brush off anything anyone thought of them. Same thing with guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mick Foley, another similar character, like, that had this... 
You know, he came in as this, like, weird, odd, like... Dysfunctional, no-one-wants-him-around kind of yes, guy. Yes, no one could relate to him. And then he did that interview with Jim Ross, and they talked about his real life and obviously dramatized it a bit, and all of a sudden everybody could relate to this guy. Yeah. And the storyline going on at this time with Mankind was very relatable. So that's kind of where I was. I was not in, like, a happy place, not... Although I was also coming into my own as far as my personality. I was, like, a very shy, quiet kid in high school, kept very much to myself. And it was around this time that I started to become, like, like the person that everyone knows now. Like, it was starting to, to like, grow at this point. So much like Mankind, you had a few personalities. Yes. I, I did have a few personalities. But, like... I started to, like, really develop my sense of humor. I started, you know, the SICWA was, like, at its height in this time. And I was oh, yeah. really <laughs> developing my mic skills at the time. Uh, and my, my character work. There, there was a lot going on. But that, that's where I was. Now, Alo, obviously, Joey and I were both, Joey was 18, I was 19. A little bit more were, uh, mature. Now, not every kid had the same growing up experience. You know, like, we've all had a little bit of a different childhood, a little bit of a different youth uh, some kids, obviously, like, more privileged than others, luckier than others, you know, grew up more well-off than others, but I believe all of us, regardless of our circumstances in life, had youthful innocence. And, Alo, yes. I know that you were the one out of the three of us <laughs> that was watching this episode of Raw with that youthful innocence that... All of the world around you had not been jaded yet by the internet wrestling community or Vince <laughs> Russo or any of the or Dave Meltzer or, or star ratings or any of these things. You were just a little kid watching wrestling. So like what what is young Alo, seven year old Alo at this time, January fourth, nineteen ninety nine? Well, January 4th, 1999, it was the first day back from winter break, going back to the second grade, <laughs> okay. Mrs. Griffith's, Mrs. Griffith's class right. at PS346 in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, first day back from oh, winter so you break. you were still a New York kid at this point. Huh? You were still a New York kid. Deadass, you were still a yes. New York kid at this yes. point. Okay. Deadass, yes. <laughs> uh, so I was, I was there. Um, I don't recall seeing this live as a kid. I, I, I was big into tapes, so... I know I got well. First, I think I saw Beyond the Mat because have you, you guys you guys have seen Mystery Men, right? Yeah, yes. the movie. So on the Mystery Men tape, the Beyond the Mat trailer is on on that videotape, and one and they're actually and you guys have seen Beyond the Mat. They're following around yeah. Mick Foley during his feud with The Rock, and it leads to the Royal Rumble with their I Quit match and. A few months later, I would get the best of Raw Volume Two, I believe, and the Mick and Rock feud was heavily featured for the best of Raw in 1999. So that was my first time actually watching a match. I knew what was going on, but I didn't actually see the match or actually understand what was going on with Bischoff and Shivani giving out the results right. of what happened and stuff like that. Like you said, I wasn't jaded by the internet wrestling community. Halo or wasn't like keeping that. tabs every week on who won the ratings. No. Yes. But it sounds like he, it no. sounds like a young stump was uh, chronicling yeah. his wrestling. Yes. He was, he was building <laughs> yeah. his uh, wrestling savants. <laughs> he was. Exactly. For later quizzes. Yeah, exactly. Virgining savant. Exactly. And I, I can't, I've been searching high and low for my old tapes mm -hmm. to send you a picture, <laughs> send you guys a picture and put a hashtag stump a of like my whole tape collection. I've been, I can't find them. I, I know uh, they're there. I just got to find the shelf. That'd be an awesome on, lead into a segment of stump a Hopefully in 2020 that... <laughs> 
comes to fruition. There are a couple other things from right happening right at this time that I forgot to mention. So one, this was like two days before New Year's Eve, 1998 into 1999, playing a game of pickup tackle football with my high school friends, and had my nose broken by our very own suit, Mr. McGee. Yeah. Two really? Days, yeah, so less than a week before this the episode aired, Mr. McGee accidentally broke my nose. He was covering me, uh, which was a mistake on his part because I was, I had lightning speed next to Dennis. <laughs> And Dennis was obviously like a bigger, stronger, more physical guy, but I was like faster, quicker. And, you know, I got sent deep on this one play. I burned him on a fly pattern, was like 10 yards ahead of him, pass was overthrown. We were in the mud. Uh, This is actually at uh, Ashland Avenue, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, Trying to catch up to this overthrown ball in the mud. Can't quite do it. And out of frustration, I just kind of like do a somersault and land on my back. And as Dennis, you know, 10, 15 yards behind me, starts catching up to where I'm laying on the ground, he goes to jump over me, and his foot slips in the mud, and his knee comes straight down on my nose. Oh. Hear my nose crunch. Like, I can't see for a couple seconds because of the pressure that was built up. I sneeze, and blood goes everywhere. And the, this was like the third play of the game, and I just had a nose just gushing blood. For the, I was wearing gray sweatpants that were just maroon by the time we were done. Red, brown, and mixture yes, of everything. It, it was horrible. And went to my grandmom's house for I think it was a it might have been a Sunday. Went to my grandmom's house for our weekly Sunday dinner, and showed up, and she was horrified to see me covered in blood. Uh, so I had a broken nose. Then two days later is New Year's Eve, and everyone was playing the Prince famous hit. Uh, 1999 at this yeah. New Year's Eve the party. The you know, theme like, of my uh, high school grad- yes. uh, graduation. Yeah, like that was the year. Like we finally caught up to 1999. So I was hearing that song a lot. Was at a New Year's Eve party on the St. Joe's campus with a swollen, crooked nose with like a little bit of black and blue under each eye. And one of my friends, uh, who shall remain nameless because I have not cleared it with him to tell this story, but as we were about to go from one party to another, for some reason he decides to punch a, uh, a glass case with a fire extinguisher in it. Now, this was the type of glass case that there was wiring inside of the Yum. glass. And the wire cut him on his knuckles like down to the bone. And we basically spent four hours that night in the emergency room with him, like, wasted. Uh, then w- immediately went from the hospital, Lankanol Hospital, to the Mummers Parade, where we lasted about 25 minutes and couldn't stand it anymore and went home yeah. and went to sleep. Sounds about right. Uh, it was a ridiculous night, but yes, I, I did feel I needed to share that I, at, at the time of the airing of this, of this episode of Raw, I had a nose that was broken by our very own Mr. McGee. The suit. And I'm sure that he he remembers breaking oh, yeah. my nose that day. Um, so let's get into the into the episode a little bit. I completely forgot that this was going on at the same time, but we had the opening promo with the the HBK feud versus Vince and the corporation. Well, you, just the lead into Raw in general, just how different it is to where it, it, it where it was to where it is now, it got me excited. It was like, well, this was basically like a uh, like a previously on Lost. Segment like yeah, well that too. They're I, like, this is where we left off with you last week. Like this is the thing that we left you hanging on last. It week. was a good, uh, good montage of uh, Shawn Michaels moments. It was. 
Uh, Ayla, I know you brought up before we started, like, the idea of where Raw was then to where it is now. So I want to get your thoughts on that. But, like, my first major takeaway is just how fun is it to watch a Monday Night Raw where there's actually energy in the building? Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. And uh, you guys didn't get to it yet, but you guys talked about the opening with the Michaels montage of quote unquote his career. And Vince says, Vince comes out and says, "Turn this, turn this sentimental stuff off. Yeah. Turn it off. Get off my screen." <laughs> oh, it was excellent. My Perfect favorite, start. my favorite line from this opening promo segment was Vince yelling, "Break his bones, Ken." <laughs> I don't know why I love that so much, but him telling Ken Shamrock to break Michael's bones was just hysterical to me. But Michael's with his, I, I believe this was his reunion with DX because he had been not on great terms with them leading up to that point, but he had them as backup, at least during this segment of the show. Yeah, yeah, so some backstory to fill in some plot holes before I give, before I give my, before I explain the difference between then and now. So, we all know The Rock becomes the corporate champion Survivor Series. Shawn, Mike, Shawn Michaels, he would turn on DX. He would cost X-Pac the title against The Rock on an episode, on an episode of Raw. So he would join the corpor- corporation, become the corporate commissioner. And then the night after Rock, well, Mankind, quote-unquote, he beats The Rock, but he does not get the title at Rock Bottoms. But then, So the next night, Michaels, he books DX. Wasn't that the like he said he was going to submit the Rock and The Rock like went unconscious or something. Is that what the yeah okay yeah yeah something like that. It's along those lines. And then the next night on Raw, he booked the the, the Outlaws against Shamrock and Bossman, and Shamrock and Bossman they would win the tag titles at that point. So and then and and, and what, I can't exactly remember why him and Vince got Vince got into it. But the thing is, going back to then and now, these Raws like. They felt like they were a long time ago, but they really weren't because there was only one show. So I enjoyed that feeling because we always think about, like, oh, it was it was so long, but it really wasn't. Like, you talked about it with uh, William Regal's A Man's Man. You <laughs> thought it was, like, six months, but it was, like, two weeks. Right. It was so short, but always remember it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a yeah. lasting feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so, so how I feel about the show then and now before we first started the call, we started talking about television shows, and and you were like, "Oh, uh, we were talking about Dexter and you." And you was like, "Halo, I know you will like you better than Dexter." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh yeah, I do." No, it's right. <laughs> but watching this show, I I was so happy. Like th- th- there are so many layers, everything connected. There's stuff that's Stories. completely ridiculous. Yeah, it's like everybody has something. Like Vince Russo always says, everybody has something. There were a couple of things that were completely ridiculous, but it was a Summer. story, so it actually went together. And like the whole main event story with DX and the Corporation and Mankind and the Rock, there were so many layers to that because the Outlaws had a thing with the, uh, Boss Man and Shamrock, but then Billy had a thing with just Shamrock. Road Dog at the time was the hardcore champion. Uh, Triple H had a match with Mankind, Mankind was feuding with The Rock, and Austin's lurking in the shadows at a certain point throughout the night. It's just so much going on, and you all you bring it all together and tell a com- compelling and complete story. I was just like, this is amazing. Everything was could never Yeah, everything was interwoven. It was, yeah, it, it was a TV show. 
Whereas now yes. it's like a bad variety show where they're basically saying some people will like seeing this person come out and some people will like seeing this. We'll do a little bit for everybody. Whereas that was just a show that was just written to be the best possible show they could come up with every week. And even just aside from the idea of it being like interwoven and all that, and Joey, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this. It's funny to like remembering whether you really liked uh, everybody or not, you had like a certain level of excitement for everyone who came down that ramp every week. Like they all had their own part in the show where you, you were like, even like the oddities, like there was a point in the show where you were like ready to see the oddities come out or like, you know, Ken Shamrock. I think we've all mentioned him as someone who's been very underrated over the years. Like everyone had their place. And it almost is, was like a big version of what NXT was like three or four years ago where we've talked about it a lot. Every one of those NXT talents back in 2014, 15, 16 were over with the NXT crowd and everyone was like excited for everyone that came out. That's kind of how it was for Raw. Like everyone had some type of feeling or connection with every single person that came out. So what was it what was there anything that stood out for you, Joey, other than the the idea of it being interwoven between then and now? Yeah, I mean well the interwoven storylines Ayla kinda of touched on. Um one thing I kinda of looked at is like they had a lot of quality wrestlers and the way they kinda of gave them T V time is there was a lot of factions. There was a lot of groups of people that I mean you kinda of got behind as a as a as a group, whether it be D X, the corporation um, they had the brood. They had all kinds of things the like nation that. Of domination. The nation I mean, of domination. They, they tied everyone together. I mean, they had some some older talent, some younger talent, paired them together, and made them very relevant. Not just one or two wrestlers that you're kind of just focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the interwoven piece as far as. You could have one feud where Ken Shamrock has Dan Severn come down to the ring and then Val Venus is fighting with this guy, but he's not even involved in the match. So they kind of made um, made way for all the wrestlers to be involved in the storylines. Um, and then, what else can I say? I mean, it, well, ju- it, ju- it just flowed. It flowed a lot yeah. more than just throwing something out there. And one of the biggest things I took from it too, I would say ultimately is, again, other than the fact that there was a spoiler for the main event, they built... The show around that eventual main event, where nowadays it is they book a main event and use you to sell that show. Use yeah. it to sell the show. Well, we're going to have a big title match where the idea of this one was you tune into the show, it plays out that mankind gets it through nefarious means, whatever he does, he gets a title at the end of the match. It wasn't next week. We're gonna have a title match with these two guys. Yeah, you know the I mean? show was telling the story of how he was going to get a title. Not, not, not using match. it to sell a show. Right. It wasn't okay. He's gonna have a title shot, and we'll just do a show up until he gets the title shot. It was like we're using the show to tell the story. Like this is where the story's going, and that is a huge difference. Like we talk a lot. Like one of the things I know I've always talked a lot about on the show. I love when something plays out through the course of a night. Which almost never happens unless it's, like, forced. Like, we're just going to keep showing you this guy. But this was literally, like, mankind was truly, like, like threaded in to the whole thing. You know, he was... he. It, I agree with completely with what you said. That, like, they told the story of how they got to the end of the night. Not, <coughs> we have the end of the night decided already and we're just going to go through the motions to get there. They took us on a ride from start to finish. And the start was Sean uh, confronting Vince about being fired and Sean's contract being ironclad. And (laughs) as much as I hate Vince now, 
I can't uh, unenjoy all that I enjoyed from Vince. And there's not many things I've enjoyed more than watching Vince like that upset Vince face. Where you almost feel like he's gonna cry, like, or when Vince has like no comeback really, like when he knows he's wrong, as he, which is how he looked against Sean, and then Sean ultimately, you know, retracts Vince pulling number thirty out of the draw in the Royal Rumble and says you're gonna go in number two against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, no question based on that. Stone Cold was he already set to be number one regardless? Yeah, I think which? that was like a punishment yeah. for something. That's what I yeah. thought because uh-huh, Sean like, mentioned yeah. I, I have. Control on pretty much everyone except Stone Cold, so it was just yeah. But the best, the best, the best part was how Vince was like playing it off in the tumblers. Like I'm, I'm gonna pick my number right here. Yeah, but every number in the tumblers probably thirty. Yes, exactly. He knew he knew what he was doing. He didn't. <laughs> it was not luck of the draw. Uh, and then we had HBK saying like, I don't remember the exact words, but like I'm gonna have a surprise for you. By the end of the night, and you might not like it. Stone Cold Surprise. Yeah, and he says, well, basically he sets it up like they gave us something to look forward to. Like, we know something that you just talked about is going to to be a part of this show. So, like, when's the last time they really gave you something at the beginning of the show that you were waiting to see? Dangle the carrot. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. I was, I was going to say this after you were done talking. It was... The, the role we went to in Philly when Roman Reigns won the title. Because remember, it was the night after TLC. Yes. And Stephanie came out. And then she was like, well, my father will be. She told Roman, well, my father will be here. Mm-hmm. Then he came out to talk to Vince. And then Vince gave him the match. And then later, and at the end of the night, he beat Sheamus. So that was a thing throughout the night. You saw Roman Reigns a few numerous times throughout the night. And then he pays it off in the, pays it off at the end of the show and not the week after. Right, and it, was, and it was good. It was like a good night yeah. of Raw. Yeah, yeah, and it was deemed like the best Raw of the year. Mm-hmm. And how funny is it how people complain so much about Raw opening with a promo, but it's not a problem when the promo is like good and when mm-hmm. it actually is meaningful and matters and leads to something. Like yeah. that was a good opening segment. Now, I wonder if people today would complain about that, but I doubt it because it actually meant something to the show. Yeah, it wasn't just the good opening segment, it's how it was built. It was all it was built uh last week Shawn Michaels got fired, super kick Shane McMahon um Vince McMahon. Uh was rumored to be on SmackDown the previous week, said he'll be here tonight. Vince McMahon sounds like there's no way that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there he is. Yeah, it was it was like a very well done start to the show, built the excitement and gave you something to look forward to, like by the end of the night. Uh, and of course, like I said, it's always great seeing Vince like put in that position of like I'm in control, I'm Mr. McMahon, but like I'm on the losing end of this. <laughs> Even though nothing really happened to him other than him getting the number two, like he definitely came out on the wrong end of that, which is always fun to see. Uh, we then get a match: uh, Ken Shamrock versus Steve Blackman. Uh, you know, obviously not a great match. But isn't really supposed to be. The whole thing was supposed to be really set up for what it led to with the brawl between Shamrock and Billy Gunn back, well, after the match and backstage. Um, I don't really remember the, the Billy Gunn-Ken Shamrock feud at all. Uh, I don't know if either of you really do. I don't know if it really amounted to anything. Is that how who Billy yeah, Gunn... Yeah, it wasn't too much. Did Billy Gunn win the Intercontinental title from him? No, he didn't. 
Yeah, I didn't remember that at all. I know a couple uh, Matt Mandis fans that'd be very excited that we're talking about Blackman. I do too. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I I was marking out when I saw Blackman. Yeah. Steve Blackman. <laughs> so was I. He, and he I wasn't. He didn't have his. He didn't have his uh, other music with the uh, with, with like the whole. Duh, duh. He yeah. didn't have that, but I was like, oh, Steve Blackman. I love Steve Blackman. In the in the black karate pants, like looking very yes. generic, was a little more jacked than I remembered. Yeah, he's a, a much like, bigger yeah, guy than I remember. He, he's he's big, yeah. Yeah, I didn't remember. These guys were actual legit, like good fighters. There's yeah. big guys that are. We had Dan Severn, one of the most boring guys of all time, <laughs> ringside in the neck brace. I mean, true boring and match wasn't like spectacular, but this is what I'm talking about. That everyone's kind of involved, like you said. You have these two guys fighting, and then you have Dan Severn come to the ring, who's kind of tied into both competitors. Mm-hmm. And then you have badass Billy Gunn come in and affect the outcome of it. So you get four wrestlers into this one storyline all tied together. And the best part is there was like a reason for anyone to be doing whatever it was they did. Whereas now, like we talk about all the time, like they just like send people out like, okay, Sasha, you go, you go out there because people like you and all right, Sami Zayn, you go out there because some people like you, everybody involved in this, like had a reason for doing what they they did. And it it makes a huge difference. Uh, We... Oh, well, ahead. quick, fa- quick, fa- quick mm-hmm. fact check. <clears throat> I, 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 I was going to say something about Ken Shamrock mm-hmm. and the IC title, but I just wanted to fact check. He will lose the title to Val Venus the next month, but the Road Dog will end up defeating Val Venus in March to win the, to win the Intercontinental title. But and at the time, he's the Hardcore Champion, but Billy Gunn will go into WrestleMania as the Hardcore Champion. Okay, so. Billy was the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship, but Brian Gerard James will get it first. Yes. Okay. <laughs> number one fan of the yes. Madness Billy, Wrestling Podcast. Billy's only Intercontinental title reign came in November of 2000. Okay. So, yeah, he wouldn't have it for a while then. Yeah. Almost two more years. Uh, we get a Mankind promo, and this is my only note on this was just... Crazy how much energy there was in the crowd. Like, you don't see that now. You don't feel that now. Well, I like how you, again, maybe a small difference is that man, Mankind could uh, tastefully talk about grabbing someone's crotch. Yeah. And how he <laughs> liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was just like a charm that he had. Like, that nobody really possesses. <laughs> I enjoyed it in a manly way. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't even possess that charm anymore. Because I think he's been forced into so many awkward, weird segments over the last five years or so that people don't have the same, like, unbridled love for him that they used to have. But at this point, Mick Foley, I feel like, could do no wrong. Do you agree with that, Alo? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at this point, definitely. No. Like, he had built up so much goodwill from wrestling fans, whether it was his history with death matches or his Hell in a Cell or... The, the many different characters he did in WWE. Yeah, comical, dark, just all, all over the, the the spectrum as far as character work. Was yeah, and at this point he was full in on like being a more comedic performer. And that's how he became like so beloved. Like People just had a very soft spot in their heart for him. And everyone was rooting for him. And it's probably a position no one could have ever foreseen Mick Foley being in in his career. Being like yeah. the guy that the entire crowd loved and was behind and wanted to see succeed. And this is where they yeah, start then, started painting the picture from the, uh, again, storyline that we talked about. Mick Foley came out kind of demanding 
um, a title shot because mm-hmm. he beat the Rock at Rock Bottom, like like Halo mentioned. Um, everything he's done, he deserves it. Yada yada. Uh, Vince Man comes out and pretty much shoots him down and says, "You're a scumbag. You're not yeah. getting it ever again." <laughs> yeah, you ro- you ruined it. You had your chance and you ruined it. What are you gonna say, Halo? Yeah, but even if you go back to the whole of Matt Foley trying to become Vince's guy even before Survivor Series, dressing up in the suit in uh, the debut of Mr. Sacco, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like Vince even handing Foley the hardcore title as, as a joke to him, and like man, like Foley calling him Vince dad, referring to Vince's dad. Yes, it was all built up and. And like even the whole screw job at Survivor Series and at Rock Bomb, they all built up to his story and his relatability factor of how Vince doesn't want him. And you'll see later in the night, he's like continuing to just shit on Foley the entire time. And even after Foley does win the title, he's like he just there's an image of him saying, No, no, not him. Mm-hmm. Anybody but him, not him. So it's so it's I love the Vince segment story. at the end too. I love it at the end when he's saying no, not him, and he's like, Rock, I'll make it up to you. Do you think uh, Mick gets as much credit as he deserves for his mic work? Um, nobody talks about it much anymore. But so, so since since nobody, I don't see anybody talking about it as much as anymore. I would say it's underrated because, like, like Joey just said, he just got over grabbing somebody's balls <laughs> <laughs> and saying and, he kind of liked it. Yeah, they cheer for yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even and even when he was being seductive and seductive and stuff, it's like he was basically telling the story. Even like when he would be the old man kind, or even Cactus Jack, and or even Do Love, he would just tell stories, and people could just listen, and you could like buy into the character. So I would definitely say his mic mic work has become underrated. We even got a Foley is good during that promo. Uh, mm-hmm. In reference to the Foley is God sign, uh, but yeah, I I think his his promo work was was excellent. No matter what type of character he was, and yeah, I don't feel like he's talked about enough as someone who was a great talker. Yeah, he could sell a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, he started doing the cheap pop, which yeah. was fun for a while too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of good things. I mean, mic work, ring work. It was it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah, he's one of my favorites of all time, and. One of the reasons why I'm happy we're talking about this particular episode. We then get Sexual Chocolate versus Goldust. Yes! Yes! <laughs> sexual Chocolate, who was uh, madly in love with China. S- well, smitten with China, smitten. which they mentioned at least 40 times during the episode, which I don't think we knew as much about Vince at this time as we do now, but knowing what we know about Vince now, like, you know that was a thing that he was probably just jamming down everyone's throat, like, say he's smitten. Because <laughs> Michael Cole said it 40 That's times. That's smitten to say it. Really, I, like, I feel oh, like that yeah. was a thing, that was his, like, decree. You have to say he's smitten because they said it so many times. They wouldn't shut, Michael Cole so would good. not shut up about it. But Smith was so China, good. Yeah, it was so good. So they were talking about China with her friend, did we, ever find out, did we ever find out who that dude was? I don't recall, but that was... If you could tell that was a man. That was a man. Can that you tell who that dude was? I don't know who it was. I don't remember if we ever found out. Uh, maybe I blocked it out for a reason. Um, I was watching the uh, this episode. My wife just happened to be there. He's like, why is there a big black man in there with China and a transvestite? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, 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 and maybe that's something they, they get away with now. They tried to cover, like, 
his face as much as possible with the with the with the bad wig when he came when he came out to the ring. I was like, oh my god, because there's a backstage <laughs> shot of China talking to her, and I'm like, oh my god, he is hideous. Yeah. And then you sound hideous. First of all, yeah. how perfect was the sexual chocolate music with the Barry White oh, uh, yeah. tone? Amazing. <laughs> like the, and those are like the little types of attention to detail. Like so, even now. And I hate to be that guy that's saying, oh, the Attitude Era was better. But you listen to now, these guys all just kind of get like, this is your music. Whereas back then, I really feel like those little details were like actually really considered. And everyone walked out there with something that fit who they are. You know, like Sexual Chocolate, that was perfect. Val Venus, that entrance music was perfect. The Goldust theme music, that was perfect for that character. Like, who do you even see anymore that, like, when they come out, you think their entrance music is perfect? There's not many people. It's not many. Not many. There's a few, but not many. Like, Sasha Banks, I know, I'm pretty sure she has new music right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's remixed. It's basically it's, it's basically her WrestleMania 32 remix with Snoop Dogg. That's what her music is, but it's, it's mixed in with her current with her old theme, but has the Snoop Dogg mix to it. Right. So if you if you really look at it, I think the only people who you can say their music suits them perfectly are people that have their music from NXT or like John Cena. And John Cena yeah. is his own well, music. I would argue there's some like I mean like I look at something like Aleister Black. I think it like Finn Balor. That fits. Those guys fits, but that's fit. that's still not many. But no. like Finn Balor, maybe maybe Seth. From, but I mean that, that would I burn it down now. It's kind of yeah. Like if you look at Finn, that comes from that like NXT. Yeah, product. yeah. Like Sasha Banks, Sky's the Limit. That was perfect for her. Bailey's music, perfect for her. I think Becky Lynch's music, perfect for her. And then you like look at almost anyone else, and it's like hmm. Mm. It like to to me Seth, it's just music. Uh, Kevin Owens, I feel like, isn't it kind of just music? Sami Zayn's perfect for him, but it's NXT. Like, I feel like most of them... He does fit the ska. Yeah, most of them, it's just music that they walk out to. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with them. But yeah, the sexual chocolate theme, incredible. Like, I always loved, like, the storylines that he was involved in. Uh, it, I mean, this kind of is what, like, made him, really... Because as the world's strongest man, I don't know that he, he ever really made an impact or like a dent until he became sexual. He chocolate. looks significantly sexier without the dreads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we got a Shattered the name Dreams. Was <laughs> yeah, we got a Shattered Dreams, which I was always a fan of seeing. If there's any character perfect to do the Shattered Dreams, it was Goldust. Goldie. Uh, we got to see one. And of course. Other than Val Venus, who would, who would it be more fitting to happen to than Sexual Chocolate? Like, I can't think of many other people that would have been more perfect to take the Shattered Dreams on this episode that we watched. Yeah, no, not, not, not many. I, I love the fact that he fainted after China said she wants to bring her into their life. So this was my next note. Maybe the best bump Mark Henry ever took. <laughs> Just a perfect flat back as he passed out at the idea of having a threesome with China and... China who looks like a bodybuilder and some dude. Yeah, and a legitimate guy. Yeah. Uh, but perfect. Sammy. You know? Yeah, yes. You could see some perfect. quality China work online nowadays. You could, if, if, if you so choose. You could. Um... Dennis Knight, I don't remember this at all. 
I do. I do. I do. It's um, it's the birth of Midian. Oh, really? Yeah. Midian. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, Midian with the uh, acolytes. When Midian uh, joined, yeah, I, I knew it was the acolytes, but I was like, hmm. "What? I was like, what is this Dennis Knight thing? I don't remember this." Yeah, yeah, I didn't remember that either. But I guess fitting, you know. I mean, it was odd. It was weird. He just became one of the uh, apostles of uh, Undertaker. That's okay, essentially, what, so that's what all. was going okay, on. Okay, so that so that explains the symbol on his on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess we don't need to talk a lot about Dennis Knight, the Godfather versus Test. Test, one of the perennially. Most underrated guys of all time, the Godfather. He was a bouncer at one point until you, they, they found him. <laughs> yeah. Corporation found him. Yeah, Michael Cole told yeah. you like four. He told you like five times during the match. So another thing that Vince was jamming down Michael Cole's throat, uh, and the Godfather, <laughs> one of the uh, most memorable characters of the day. I think. Uh, oh, and this is where we had the Val Venus run in, and again, like you, you have. Reason for everyone doing the things that they do, and like we were told before the match, kind of the issues that were going on, yeah, and then we see Dale it and come to fruition. Test, and then once he got to Hugh, he came down and that erupted in a brawl. Yeah, and so that's I think a thing, a major thing that's lacking is motivation for characters on Raw nowadays. <laughs> King had a line where he said, oh, yeah, uh, Val and Godfather are, are really good friends. I think he's good friends with the hoes, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm sure he was. And you reminded me of another thing that King <laughs> said that was great during the, the Goldust match when Goldust licked the rope and before he walked in. He's like, I'm having trouble concentrating <laughs> after Goldust just licked that rope. He is sick and perverted, and usually I like that in a person, but, but not Goldust. So I think perfect for King to say that's t- he typically loves those qualities in a person to be. Can't be a good thing to come down and lick the rope before every match, but hey. Yeah, I mean, Gold Dust the only one to get away with it. Uh, I thankful that I had an opportunity to tell Gold Dust uh, how much I appreciated his work in the Attitude Era um, at Access and actually at the Performance Center. Got to meet uh, Dustin, which was pretty cool. He was a really cool guy. Uh, but then we get. Mankind versus Triple H with Shane O'Mac as the special guest referee. Yeah, this is, again, how we tie the storyline. And Vince McMahon said he's not getting a title shot at the Rumble. but I mean, at uh, Royal Rumble, but he could qualify for Royal Rumble if he beats Triple H with Shane McMahon as a special guest referee. Right. So now Triple H, who had kind of befriended Mick at this point, has a reason to beat Mick. And then who would have thought at this time that... uh, Brother-in-law Shane would be helping Triple H to win the match against. Their story goes <laughs> deep. Their history yeah, it goes really deep. Really does. Uh, I think he pulled him aside after. I said, "What's the deal with your sister?" Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I thought this was like a fun match, just in the sense of like what was on the line. Baby and, Shane and Shane, who actually broke in as an as a referee uh, before he ever did anything in the ring. I don't even know if he was listed as Shane McMahon as a referee. I can't remember. But uh fun match, a fun uh, story that they told with Shane hitting the fast count, and then Triple H basically apologizing, saying, you know, Mick, I'm sorry, but a win is a win, and when it comes to the WWF championship, like I'll, I'll take, take it, it any way I can get it. But Happy New Year, and he hits the pedigree and then just leaves – Leaves the carcass for for Mick to do what he is all yours. And mankind basically holds Shane hostage to get a no disqualification title shot. Did you know the reference that uh, 
Mankind made? Which one? Well, before he put this this uh, submission move on, he's like, I'm going to show you something Dan McCunning, I think he said, showed me. I did not. I didn't know anything about the reference. I don't okay, know if maybe so you were you did. hoping Alo did. Yeah, I was hoping no, Alo did. I oh, no. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the reference. I wonder if it was like a local guy or if it was... Uh, Someone probably in his wrestling career that he came across. I don't know if he knew the reference from from either the book or, or Beyond the Mat. Or. Yeah, if it's a reference that I read about somewhere, I, it definitely has escaped You could do the research on it, but I, I know Alo might have might have had a shot at known. Always a good chance to, if you ask Alo, he may know <laughs> what it is. If not, it's a future stump to Alo. Yeah. Um, so we got Vince put in this terrible situation of having to save his son uh, or give... Like this guy that he loathes, a title shot that he feels he doesn't deserve. Uh, you know, I like that conflict that Vince oh, yeah. has to go through. Then personal, the conflict that Vince has personal with and internal. The Rock. Well, Rock didn't have any gear there. What the yeah. hell? So yeah, this was an odd period where The Rock was wearing the the like track pants and the t-shirt all the time. I don't know why, uh, but it was like a few months, and I think every match. That The Rock had with Mick, maybe after Survivor Series, he was wearing the shirt and the pants. Yeah. The rumor that I yeah, heard he was. at the time was that he had pec implants, and he was yes, covering he did. them up. Yeah, he, yeah, 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 pecs. Yeah, he had surgery on his pecs or something like but that. But yeah, I don't know if it was implants or if it was just some type of surgery they were covering up. But it had something to do with his pecs. But that was the rumor I heard was that it was pec implants. He was self-conscious. My guess is it probably wasn't actually implants. He was body shaming. Yeah, it, it yeah, was. It was it, there, there was a surgery. Uh, but yeah, always, and I had forgotten that he was wearing that getup at the time. Uh, but speaking of, impl- mm-hmm. speaking of implants, did you guys ever know that Dustin really wanted to get a boob job? Uh, I feel like it's probably a rumor I heard but never took seriously. Sounds about right. It would have, You're saying that that's no, no, real? But every, no, everybody has confirmed this. It would have made... willing to go that far to get a piece of... It would have made that it, Cody versus Dustin stop. thing very awkward. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a very different match with Cody and yeah, Dustin. And, 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 it, and it was his... According to Bruce Pritchard, it was his idea. It was Dustin's idea. He was willing to do it. Well, I gotta tell you, I gotta respect the showmanship. <laughs> if he was willing to get breast implants for the character. I'm glad he didn't do it. But I respect the... Uh, he wouldn't have been safe around sexual chocolate. No, he wouldn't have been. But I, I definitely respect that dedication <laughs> to the character. Uh, so Vince begrudgingly uh, awards a title shot. No disqualification match to Mankind against The Rock. And WCW really did a great job by giving this away. Because more people got to see the way this pay- played out. Than would have otherwise. And could they have picked, like, and we'll obviously get to this uh, in a little bit when we get to the match, but could they have picked maybe a better moment to steer viewers to for WWF than this one? Like, I don't know if they could have picked a better moment than this one to get everybody to tune into. Oh, absolutely not. This was the perfect one. No, and it kind of backfired to get everyone to steer, to steer there because it kind of gave them more attention than they, they, they would probably got otherwise. Yeah, like, and WCW, you know, obviously messed up by doing that. But 
and I don't know if you would call this lucky or just good fortune or just like what do they say luck is where like preparation meets opportunity or something like that but WWF did an amazing job setting up this moment like you know so yeah WCW kind of uh, inadvertently did them a favor by steering eyes there but what WWF was doing was so good that it made those eyes stay. Yep. You know, if it wasn't good, if it wasn't a great payoff, it, been in and out. it may not have made much of a difference. But like if that I happened today, it, it probably wouldn't have made any difference because you right. come in, see some crap, like, oh. and go, yeah, okay. Oh, okay, I'm done with that, yeah. Uh, and obviously we'll talk more about this in a little bit. We got Edge versus uh, D'Lo Brown. D'Lo Brown, a favorite of this podcast. Honestly, Edge, a favorite of this podcast. Edge is still part of the brood at this point. Mm-hmm. We're dumping blood on people. Yeah, any thoughts on this match from either of you? Alo shakes, Alo little oh. Alo, baby Alo shakes his head a lot. <laughs> I, didn't, I forgot about De- that. Definitely, but D-Lo. it's like a modern day bobblehead. Oh yeah, definitely. I was upset that he didn't have his uh, other music at the time. He still yeah. had some generic music. Mm-hmm. I was very upset about that. But that whole Tory story, that whole PMS storyline was terrible. Oh jeez, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Well, my personal friend, Terry Runnels. Uh, yes, personal friend. <laughs> who I met at Access, and I told her, you know, the next time we run into each other, I will have a cigar for you. And then she happened to be at one of those, uh, the hell are they even called now? I forget. Icons. At an Icons of Wrestling event. And I ran to a cigar store around the corner and bought a couple cigars and presented them to her. As, I think it was at, do you remember, was it as she was leaving? I kind of caught up with her, like, before she left the arena. Yeah, beca- yeah, be- yeah because you, cause you saw her, you were like, I think I gotta go get her a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> and then you saw so you left and came back, like, oh shit, where, where is she? And then you caught her when, you, when she was leaving. Yeah, and she very much appreciated the cigar. She very much appreciated that I kept my word, gave me a big hug. I believe I believe she threw a baby in there, like a thank you baby or something like that. So yeah, I consider her a close personal friend. Close personal friend. Point. Yeah. Did you ask her about this storyline? How she felt? I didn't, but I assume she didn't love it. Although she she was getting on TV for it, so I'm sure she was all right with it. Uh, she didn't take a bad bump off the steps no. onto the floor. Gratuitous underwear shot. Yeah, but. As Alo said, not a great uh, storyline, and maybe bumping while pregnant, not the best idea. Yeah. But I guess it, it garners you a little bit of sympathy. And the pregnancy thing came as a surprise to commentary. No one was aware that she was pregnant <laughs> at the time. Uh, we got Shane coming out with Patterson, Briscoe, and Kane. And they were picking on Kane the whole night. Mm-hmm. And I remember like when they first came, <laughs> the opening segment, they put sign on his back. I was like, why are they doing this? Now we Here's know. my answer. Yeah, and Kane got payback for Shane on the Stooges. Uh, and honestly... Vince sat back with a grimace mm-hmm. at the revenge he was in, in, enacting. He said he was going to... Everyone who had his hand, hand in this was going to pay. Can we just take a minute to appreciate the joy that the Stooges brought to us every Monday night during that time? <laughs> so good. So good. Like, and you guys know how much I'm over the idea of, like, older talent coming in and them relying on older talent. These guys were older talent used absolutely 
brilliantly by WWF at the time. Like, <laughs> I could not get enough of those two, but they gave us exactly the right amount. They didn't give us too much. They didn't make it yeah. the main part of the story, but they were just enough of a part of the story where, like, they mattered. Uh, and the Stooges may have, I think, my second favorite personal Vince line. It's not, like, a great line or a very famous line, I don't think. But it was one one Raw where they were looking for Mankind, and Vince sent them to the boiler room, and they reported back to Vince that they hadn't found him, they couldn't find the boiler room. And Vince says, you couldn't find the boiler room? You couldn't find your ass! <laughs> and still one of like the standout Vince lines to me, I remember being like on the floor laughing when he said it. Um, yeah, Patterson and Briscoe just... Fantastic, really. Like, they were so great at the time. And I don't know what could even compare. The closest comparison I think you get to them modern day was J&J Security a few years ago. Oh, and they were, they were, yeah. They as good as were. they were, even the two of them were not at the level. They're of not stooge stooges. level. They're not stooge oh, level. No. But oh, no. they, those guys were great uh, and could never get enough of them. <laughs> and Kane, it, it is good to see him uh, in his element where he belongs. You know, that's where he belongs in 1999. <laughs> Leave him there. Stay there. Stay masked. Don't talk. Stay masked. And I, I like how Vince threatened to put, send him back. Yeah. If Because he, he put, did put his hand on Shane. Oh, yeah. The loony send him bin. to the loony bin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah, had, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we had Al Snow versus uh, BJG, Brian Gerard James, in a B- hardcore BJG. title match. Uh, I think... How it was a really good match and really aided by that fantastic snowfall. The snowfall is terrific. Yes, there were some elements that kind of had me questioning. Like he hit him with a box of toilet paper. Is Mm -hmm. that really going to have any effect on anyone? It was a whole box of toilet paper. Yeah, but seeing them go out into the snowstorm, the pile driver on the snow covered pallet, like yeah, that part was fun. It was just a very visually pleasing hardcore match to me. Al Snow Snow picked up a huge lead pipe and became a Jedi Master all of a sudden. Yeah, like whipping it around like it was a a two sided lightsaber, like he was Darth Maul. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was great. A really fun (laughs) match. Uh, Really good look for TV and. Al Snow, I know we've had our issues with uh, Al in the past for <laughs> snubbing us on an interview he agreed to do. Twice. Uh, yeah, multiple times. But hell of a hardcore wrestler, hell of a hardcore competitor. I think a very underrated like in-ring worker, or underappreciated. Apparently he didn't shower. Well, no, he didn't. He wore the same that same shirt all the time. He made reference to that he hasn't showered since the brood... Dump blood on him. Yeah, his his blood, his infamous bloodbath. But yeah, really fun hardcore match. How much longer after this was it before the uh, like the the basically twenty four seven rules started to apply? Was that after Mick Foley became commissioner? Well, no, that, that was before he became commissioner because Crash Holly said he'll defend it 24 seven. So how much longer after this would you guess that that was? Oh, uh, this was about a year. So, like, a year later is when it started being yeah. defended around the clock. It'd be better when it wasn't a defending around the clock. When you have matches like this, can be fun. So that is an interesting way to put it. Like, I think having it defended around the clock, a lot of the stuff you could do with it would be funny or fun to watch or, like, be interesting. But you're right. Like, this match was just a really good match. I mean, honestly, it may have been the best, the best like, match on the show. 
You could argue the uh, Mankind vs. Rock, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that was definitely the Outside biggest one and the most consequential one. But I thought, like, this match was just a really More. good, really fun match. Oh, yeah. And it going out into the snow oh, yeah, was definitely. excellent. And I always loved when they use, like, the surroundings of the arena as part of a match. Like, the Long Island sound and things like that, I think, are always fun when you use, like, the area to your advantage. As opposed to just calling something, like, a Philadelphia street fight or whatever. You're actually using... Like the surroundings outside the arena for TV. I like that he sprinted back in too and celebrated in ring after the victory. Yes. Yeah, excellent. Brian Gerard James. Well, he knew that the young co hosts of Matt Madness would be watching and he was showing off for he, us yeah, in won, hopes that we'd remember to, him. <laughs> he, when won, we became world he wanted famous. to make a moment. Yeah. Uh, it is also funny thinking like there are so many of these guys that have roles in wrestling now. Like, whatever they may be, like Billy Gunn in AEW, you know, Brian George James, part of WWE's creative team. Like, it's it's interesting to, to think about that. Yeah, I look at different people, and, and I mean, like, the sexual chocolate got more of a forehead. <laughs> His forehead grew. <laughs> Triple H is three times the size he was. He is, and he's The now... Rock is four times the size he was. In both physically and as far as, like, his worldwide fame. Yeah. They made reference to Rock at one point. They said he's world famous, and now he actually is. Yeah, he actually is maybe the most famous guy in the world. And, like, most beloved guy in the world. Like, he may truly be the people's champ now that he claimed literally, to be literally. back then. Yep. Uh, Stone Cold still looks like Stone Cold. Yeah, he does basically look exactly the same. And that maybe that's the benefit of not being in great shape. Yeah. It's like when you get 25 years you're older. You're always not in great shape. Yeah, you don't really look like you're in bad shape. Uh, HBK locked out of the re- out of the arena. Uh, he was set up, set up maybe by DX. No, it's definitely by DX. <laughs> uh, and again with the snow, how amazing was the shot after they pulled HBK out of the windshield? They showed him getting put in the ambulance, and you see the snow falling on the blood covered yeah. windshield. Oh, that, that was beautiful. More stuff, great more stuff like this could be done where you don't have to show everything happening. You just pan. Camera angle or something, and then you show them at the end. Just, just like that. That's just like it's very poetic. It's very, it's very um, feature movie esque. It's, it's, it's good to do sometimes. You don't have to show every element of it because it kind of, kind of dulls it down sometimes. Yeah, that yeah, might even, have been. Go ahead, Ayla. Even, yeah, even like the, the, the blood look they gave him. It was. I, I, I was like, they did all of that. Like I didn't say it was a pre shot earlier that night, but. But still, it was it was really convincing. I was like, "Wow, they did all that." No, I'm not sure of the facts. Ayla could fact check me on this, but uh, one one of the main reasons I believe it was DX was involved too is because after he gave him the key, Sean's like, "What's? Don't worry about it. I'll be right back." He's like, "Or maybe, will you?" Or, or something will, along those. Lines. Or will you? And he said, "Pretty much, you reap what you sow." Or he said, "Like I'll see you later." And he's like, I "Think Triple H was like, you get what you, you get what you deserve." Like you get, yeah, he said that. He said, "Maybe yeah. not." And he said, "You get what you deserve." Yeah, it, it was strange. I don't recall that ever coming back to coming back. I think to it came back. I think it came back. I think it came when Shawn Michaels later on down the line said, you know, kind of blamed them for sending, and they said they did set him up. Yeah, I don't personally remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, neither do I, because I know my, at this point Shawn was still a commissioner, but he would come in and out sporadically. Yeah, and I know maybe a month later, I know China joins the corporation. It, the way they did it was match. Exactly. And Kane was going to choke slam China. One more time, you were cutting it up. But Triple H was going to. 
Oh, no, so what happened was... Can, am I still good? Yeah. Am I good? Okay, so Triple H would face uh, Rock in a I Quit match. And Triple H was about to pedigree Rock through the announce table. But Kane in the corporation, they took China, and Kane was about to choke slam China. So in order to save China, Triple H would say, I quit, and lose the match. But then after that... She was a corporation. He, to go, he goes to save corner and then turns on him. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that now that you mentioned I'd have to do my research, but I'm pretty sure somewhere down the line it came back where Triple H and HBK kind of revisit this. Yeah, I'm curious too. Like, I, I, I want to know myself. <laughs> I might have to do some digging. I'm curious. Because yeah. cause I, I did find that was odd because everything was all good at the end of the night because at the end of the night the whole goal was for mankind to win. Right. Um, so, yeah. Now, I, I remember mentioning after the first uh, AEW Dynamite show how great the shot was of Moxley putting uh, Kenny Omega through the, the glass table backstage. It was just like a, a beautiful like TV wrestling shot. And that shot of the snow falling on the shattered windshield covered in blood was like... Maybe WWF, WWE may not have ever done a better single shot than that one. Like, it was just so perfect uh, for that story and, like, what we just saw. And I, I really think they lucked out by having that very picturesque snowstorm with, like, the giant snowflakes that night. I think it really added a lot to the show, which, again, they couldn't have planned for, but they really did uh, take full advantage of. Uh, and then that basically leads us to the main event of the evening, the moment everyone had been waiting for, Mankind versus The Rock in a no-disqualification match. And, like, before we get into specifically the match, this was, like, a hell of a feud between these two that went basically from, I mean, November through February, and maybe even a little longer than that. But I, like, I, if if memory serves me correctly, so they had the run in in the finals of the tournament at Survivor Series, where mankind got screwed over by the corporation, and they basically chose The Rock to be the the corporate champion. Uh, they had a match at In Your House, Rock Bottom, or something like that. Is that what it was called? Yep. That, yeah. That that was the month after Survivor Series. And then they obviously had this match. They had a match at the, the Royal I, Rumble. I yes, the, the famous I Quit match at the Royal Rumble. And then they had a match uh, on Sunday Night Heat during the Super Bowl, right? That was the empty arena match. Yeah, they had halftime heat in the empty arena. And, yeah. then, mm-hmm. and then they had a ladder match on Raw. Yeah, and that was where The Rock ultimately won it back, right? Yeah. So we're talking then. Or wait, they had a match. Didn't they have a match at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Oh, no, it was the night after. Because the big show debuted at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And then he helped The Rock win the title in the ladder match. Is that right? The ladder match was on Raw. He Big Show debuted to help Vince win the cage match. Right. But what I'm saying is he debuted on that show. And then the next oh, night yes. on Raw, yeah. he helped The Rock yeah. win. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, we're talking then a solid November, December, a four-month feud 
And one of my favorite things is the idea of, like, the guy who's very glamorous like The Rock and the guy who's the complete opposite of glamorous in Mick Foley bringing the best out of each other. And then, obviously, you know, we saw them form, like... You know, I think it's one of our favorite... Our favorite tag teams. As much as it was not long-lived, it may not be viewed as a great tag team. Like, they had that experience together, too. So they've, they've had a great feud where they were supposed to hate each other. They've also had a run where they're supposed to have been, like, an odd couple of sorts. Uh, but, Alo, since you kind of chose that you wanted to talk about this show and, and this match, uh, give me your thoughts on Mankind versus The Rock. Like, from a match perspective and, like, a moment perspective. Well, they did have a match at quick. It was a last man standing match, but it just ended in a no contest. Okay. And that was the first ever last man standing match. So that, that and that's what led to the ladder match. But yeah, the match I thought was great, especially the the physicality with it. And I always love the part when they both go, go on the commentary table and talking <laughs> to the microphone. I always personally like love that that spot when they both did it. And the storyline, it all came hand in hand because it was no disqualification. Both DX and the corporation were outside. Those guys did get involved. And then the whole thing, with, it'll be a stone-cold surprise. <laughs> it was a very stone-cold surprise. It was. And you, we always talk about one a lot. We always, talk, we always see the, the pictures and stuff about loudest pops in wrestling history. And that was... That's always one of them. That whole pop when the glass shatters and Austin comes down and stuns The Rock and Foley ends up winning the title, and that's even a louder pop. And like you said earlier in the show, what other moment he add to ever could WCW spoil and get this reaction? And I don't think anything. I don't think I don't think any moment would top that. I don't. No, I, I don't either. Joseph, how about you? Thoughts on like this match and this moment? For it was an amazing moment. It's just something. Again, there's a few of those where you get to see him, and and you saw it on on the show. Like you said, even though you knew it was gonna happen, it's awesome to watch. Um, the match was pretty good in the fact that for a while you didn't really believe he was gonna win. You thought some way corporation was gonna find a way to screw him, and then you had Stone Cold's music play, and it's like, oh shit. <laughs> And it ramped up, and he just kind of found another way to give it to to Vince. And then the fun part about the whole ending segment where you have um, Mankind kind of poking fun at, at Vince and the corporation. Vince is kind of saying, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. Mm-hmm. I'll make it up to you, Rock. And Rock's kind of involved. It was all fun. And just everything about it played out well and kind of, like we said from the beginning, it was a story they told the whole way through, and it, it ended up with this, and it was an awesome way to end it. Yeah, uh, so for me, yeah, the match was really good. And these guys, as we said, had had a bunch of really good matches, great chemistry together. I think, like, the the differences in the types of people and characters they are really added a lot to it. Um, but Mankind kicking out of the belt shot from The Rock was, like, an amazing, like, the crowd went nuts for that. And that was like a huge deal that he took the shot with the belt and kicked out. Then he hits the double arm DDT on the rock on the belt. And the rock, did the rock kick out or did someone jump in? I can't remember. I think Ken Shamrock jumped in. 
And then you had Billy Gunn take out Ken Shamrock, and yep. the crowd is now already going nuts. Already into and it. all this stuff is happening. So first you have these two going to war with each other. When Which they already knew, yeah. Right. Yeah, Vince started the show saying Mankind didn't deserve another title shot. Then we end, he ends up, you know, forcing Vince's hand. So the crowd's already fired up that we're going to get to see this title match. Then you have the whole corporation out there. You have DX out there. So you have all these guys around the ring, which I think adds, like, an atmosphere to it that most title matches don't have. Seeing all these other guys there. And I'll ask a question to both of you guys. Is there anything they could do right now to have that many guys involved in one match that the entire crowd cares about one way or the other? No, because not right now. Everybody that was out there mattered to the crowd. Not currently. I mean, uh, they would do, they would have to start it from the ground up and kind of build that. Yeah, like they hated the corporation guys. They loved the DX guys, and now all they could do is put a bunch of guys out there that like. Some people like them. Some people don't care. I mean, they try and do things that are kind of similar to that. When, like when they do like uh, the the faction with um, AJ Styles and stuff, but they do nothing with it. They don't give him any relevance. They don't give any any reason to hate him. They just uh, put him in matches and they lose. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember what it was. The uh, the other thing that really stood out to me when Mick hits the double arm DDT on the belt and. Uh, it was Earl Hebner, right? Yeah, Earl Hebner was distracted, and it took him like two or three seconds to get in position to make the three count. So there was like the delay, where it's like, oh, he's gonna win, and then it gets taken away from him. But yeah, the crowd gets so ramped up by DX and the corporation getting involved, and then you hear the glass shatter. And I think outside of maybe like a WrestleMania with fifty thousand plus people, this may be the loudest pop that we've ever had at a Raw. The only other mm-hmm. raw pop that I can recall that's comparable to it was the yes chance after Daniel Bryan turned on the Wyatts. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only thing I can remember from Raw that got that type of reaction. There may have been something with Punk that like I obviously missed that whole time period, but there's nothing else I could think of that generated that response on a Raw episode. Uh, but yeah, Austin comes down, hits the chair shot. Throws Mick on top of the rock and walks out. I loved it. Another thing, kind of the antithesis of the rock. The rock liked to soak it in and like bask in the admiration and attention of the crowd. And Austin didn't need that. No. He comes in, does what he was there to do, right out. Walks out, gives Vince the double finger. Yeah, he didn't need the, the admiration. He didn't need the recognition. He just needed to screw Vince over and get the hell out of there. Um... I just have to say that I was watching this and I was at the same time laughing and crying. Like laughing because of how funny it is that I cared. I like remembering how (laughs) much I cared. How much I even cared watching it 21 years later. And laughing at how shitty it is now compared to what that was like then. Comparatively. And then like the emotion of just like how happy I was for this guy. Like this guy who probably never thought he was going to be put in this position. Nobody ever thought he'd be put in this position. And here he is being like... Yet an emotional erection. Basically, yes. Uh, it, in, in not so many words, yes. I, I was very, the fairest way to put it. I was very moved by this moment. 
by this match, by like the memory of what it meant in like the history of the Monday Night Wars. Um, and then how perfect is it? Another thing that's maybe like a, a lucky coincidence. How perfect is it that mankind, who was like a loner basically through most of his WWE run, had DX to celebrate with afterwards? Yeah. Like how perfect could it they have been? Had him been? on his shoulders and everything. Yeah, that he actually had a group of fan favorites that he had to actually celebrate with afterwards. And then, of course, you know, Vince, as Austin is walking away, Vince, you son of a bitch, you. Bastard! (laughs) And then Vince at the top, one of the things I'll remember most is Vince at the top of the ramp. You know, Alo mentioned that, not you, anybody but you. And Vince at one point, like the camera goes back to mankind and then goes back to Vince. And Vince just says, this makes me want to (laughs) puke. And that's another amazing line. And as we said, we get the, the celebration with Mick and DX, which is an awesome moment. It's one of those crazy things like where people have talked about like if Triple H didn't get in trouble for like the curtain call Stone Cold probably isn't King of the Ring and we don't get that like Austin 316 promo with him with the busted lip if that doesn't happen when it happens who knows yeah where does the life go the Stone Cold thing happens like who knows how that plays out if this particular night hadn't been filmed the week before like what if this is a week the show was live would we have gotten the spoiler? Would they have won over as many hearts and minds that Monday night? Just so many things seem to work out perfectly for this episode overall. Like I, I feel like, in hindsight, I can look at January 4th, 1999 as the reason why Vince McMahon ended up owning WCW and the reason why WWF, WWE was like the only thing yeah, left standing. Six, 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 survived, essentially. Yeah, Alo, any like final thoughts you have from the match or from this episode or just general thoughts? The writing. Vince, uh, Vince Russo and Ferrara deserve to take a bow. <laughs> well, you know, bro, they did write the show as if they were viewers holding their remote <laughs> controls, bro. That's all you gotta do. <laughs> so you got so you gotta do. But the writing was fantastic. I, I, I was I was blown away with the layers that went into the show and how everything culminated at the end of the night. And like you said, we will never get that today. It's too much work. And granted, the mat, the in ring work was not good on these shows back in the day, and it's it's way better now. But the stories were there as a TV show. The story was there. Mm-hmm. If you can take those stories it, with this in-ring work, it's an unstoppable exactly. product. Exactly. And then, how good was it to watch a run that was an hour and a half? At, oh my god! So that you know what? I'm so glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention this when I mentioned uh, HBK saying I'll have a surprise for you later in the night. He said I'll have a surprise for you at some time in the next two hours. And when he said that, I was like, Oh my god! It was only two hours long. How <laughs> glorious is that? That we just can lose that extra hour. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, I think it was an hour and 34 minutes long on the WWE Network. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I don't know if there was anything edited out other than most of the commercials. But yeah, it was beautiful to to watch it in half of the time you can watch Raw now. I was excited by that. Uh, Joey, any final thoughts or observations from you? Observations are, again, build build storylines, get 
get more people in fraction in faction so we can get more quality work from groups of people. Um, and like I just said, good storyline, great wrestling. We have a great wrestling part. Don't have the storyline part. Let's put them two together. Uh, it was fun. It was a great show. Uh, start to finish as far as just keeping me emotionally invested the whole way through. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I have one like kind of small detail thing that I want to mention. Nitpick. Yeah, not it's not even a nitpick. It's just like a small observation that I made that I forgot to bring up. Another idea of like how we know so much more about Vince now than we did then. Knowing now what we know about Vince, how perfect is it to see him dreading someone like Mick Foley being the champion of his company? Like, knowing what he wants his champions to look like. Knowing what he wants them to represent, like, in hindsight. And that was, like, so perfect to see, like... Because it really, I think, at the time, even, I I was nice. This is Foley's baby boy. Yeah, like, I was looking at it like he just hated mankind. But now I look at it like, oh, he's fat, he's out of shape, he's not athletic, like, he's not pleasing to the eye. Like, these are all of the reasons why he doesn't want him. Because he's a bad representation. He's... He's so vain that he wants his champions to look like he wished he looked. And Mick Foley is basically exactly the opposite of what he wants his champion to look like. So that was a really nice touch. And then just some kind of more general observations. Show was a lot more fun to watch than it is current day because of the storylines, because of the writing, because of the characters, because of the motivation of the people involved. And... If you think about it, there is no one that they have on their roster now that is as beloved as Mick Foley was then. And Mick Foley was maybe, like, not even a top five guy for them at that point. Like, you look at Stone Cold. You look at The Rock. You look at, like, DX as a whole. Like, The Undertaker, I know he wasn't there on this show, but, like, The Undertaker, like, obviously a legendary guy. And Mankind gets that type of reaction, that type of ovation, that kind of fan investment. And there is not a single person on that roster that could generate that kind of reaction. Am I, am I wrong in that? Is there anybody that I'm overlooking that no. has that type of adoration from the fans? No. No. I, I, that's kind of what I think. So if WWE was to like take stock in what they're doing right now, Say, how could we be better in 2020? The thing that they should be focused on is how do we get the people that we employ, the people that we send out on TV every Monday or every Friday or once a month on pay-per-view, how do we get the crowd to give a shit about them? That's what they should be focusing on. Not Stop worrying about what you want behind the curtain. Stop worrying about what you think is good for wrestling and start giving the people what they want to see. Yeah. Yeah, and figure out what it is that makes the fans care about the character. Because right now there's nobody and nothing that we care about. Um, so, Alo, I'm glad that you suggested this. It was fun. I It was the most fun I've had watching wrestling in quite some time. Now, if you had picked another episode of Raw, I may not have enjoyed it quite as much, but I'm sure I would have enjoyed it much more than the current product. I had a lot of fun watching it, a lot of fun talking about it. I mean, I even had fun, like... Just thinking about it, because it really is like one of my fondest wrestling memories. Um, so, if anybody else, anything they they want to say, and we have about, we could probably squeeze in about three more minutes. So, is there anything about the weekly products anyone wants to mention? No. Okay, good, Joseph. Anything that jumped out at you this week? 
Uh, people were fat shaming Chris Jericho. I mean, other than that, <laughs> other than that, no. Yeah, and, and next and next week, if all goes well, we'll be diving into Mick Foley making another guy's career, and that's Triple H at the Royal Rumble 2000. Yeah. So obviously, we will keep you all posted on that. I hope if you watched Weekly Product, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you're still listening to the show now, I hope you enjoyed our episode this week. Uh, feel free to chime in with any of your own thoughts or comments or observations from Mick Foley's title win or Monday Night Raw from January 4th, 1999. Please leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Um, Nalo, would you like to move some merch? What a maneuver on net to embrace the madness. All right, so for Mr. Sexy Punta Cana, then now forever, C.K. Joe Rottermill. Live it, love it. <laughs> for Mr. Wednesday Night Live, we call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo, Aaron Lloyd. I am Ron Pashery Jr., and we will see you next week. Hop on the top rope, by the land with his elbow. Got him now, put him down right now, hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. This is Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again. Fans mocking man, man, I hate my balls. Shut the Vince McMahon, it ain't safe to land. Off the cell, fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome. Well, what I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.